This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the mom room. It is Renee, your host, and I am going through some Disney withdrawals at the moment. And the number one sign of experiencing Disney withdrawal is that you're trying to book another Disney trip. And even driving Milo to school today, he's like, I want to go back. I was like, you do? Don't have to tell me twice. So anyways, I've been looking into Disney World. Obviously, that's the bigger of the two parks in North America. And yeah, it's a little bit overwhelming. There's lots of different places that you could stay. So I'm going to try and read reviews and see what people recommend. Because it really does make a difference where you stay with regard to how easily you can access the park. And also take a break in the afternoon and go back to the hotel and chill. That was really helpful in Disneyland. Like we could take a break for the afternoon for a few hours, have some lunch and downtime before you went back into the park. So anyways, as I learn more and potentially book something around the holiday season because I want to see it all decorated for the holidays, I want to see Mickey and Minnie in their little Christmas outfits. Like, hello. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. We are not talking about Disney today, though. We will be talking about Disney on Thursday because Thursday's solo episode is all about Disney tips, tricks, how I would spend a day at Disney, like my ideal day, how we used Genie Plus, all the things. So tune in for that if you're thinking of planning a trip. Today, though, we are speaking with Joe Piazza. She is an American journalist, editor, and author of seven books. Her most recent book is coming out soon. It is called The Sicilian Inheritance. And the story is like loosely based on her own family history. It's kind of fascinating. And she's doing more around the story. She's going to have a podcast coming out soon where she actually goes to Sicily and is trying to figure out what happened to, I believe it was her great grandmother. You'll hear all about it in this episode. It's really, really neat. I am looking forward to reading that. In this episode, we also have a conversation about trad wives, and I am new to this whole phenomenon. I started to hear about it a little bit on the toast when they were talking about Ballerina Farm, which is a really popular account on Instagram. I don't think I realized how big of a thing the whole trad wife you know, situation is. And I searched it on TikTok and I was like, oh my gosh, like there's so much content. Clearly the world is just not serving me this content, but it's like, it's a huge thing. So we get into what a trad wife actually is. Pretty sure trad stands for traditional and why a lot of these social media accounts are a problem. Because like most things on social media. It's creating this false narrative and this false, like this idealized version of what it's like to live on a farm and, you know, make your own bread and do all the things with kids running around and so on and so forth. 
It's kind of like how hurtful certain mom content is when they're showing just the ideal situations with beautiful imagery. It's the same kind of thing, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know? It's not easy to milk a cow. But when you see a reel of some of these women milking cows, it's like they're in this beautiful floral gown, not gown, like a dress, like a farm dress, you know, and nice French braid in the hair. And it looks like this peaceful, like, I want to do that, but it's not reality. Okay. So anyways, we talk a lot about motherhood, about trad wives, about her new book and how it's related to her own family history. So without further ado, I know you're going to enjoy this one. Please welcome Joe Piazza to the Mom Room podcast. It was May 2021, the last time you were in the mom room. No. Yeah. What has been going on in your life? <laughs> just pooping out babies is what I've been doing. <laughs> just, just, yeah. I mean, that's crazy that it was so long ago. And also, what is time? Because it feels like five minutes ago. I know. Yeah. I mean, since then, I had another baby. <laughs> A surprise third baby who's oh. really probably the best of them, to be honest. Well, that was nice that it was a surprise and it's the easiest, you know? Totally. Well, I think, you know, I think third babies feel like they have to be easy because they're like, I just, I feel lucky to be here. So yeah. thank you. And there's thank already you. too much going on. There's already too much going on. I had the third baby. I think I've written three more books since then. Like and how? I don't know. I, you know, I was a tabloid newspaper reporter for so long, and I had to write on deadline. And so because of that, I just, it is my nature to get my butt in a seat and to write words and to not stress about it. And I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like, I don't stress about it. I get words on paper, and sometimes they are good and sometimes they are not good, but they are done. What is the timeline like? So let's say you finish a project. How different does what you initially wrote look from when it's actually published? Is it like drastically different? Yeah. The first draft is always different because the first draft is just messy, right? But I will say publishing, they want a full manuscript now before they buy books. That did not used to be the case. You used to be able to sell on a proposal. And they also want that manuscript to be pretty perfect. So what I turn into my editor is not that different than what you're going to read on the page. Like there okay. are some like there are like she's very helpful and there are like definitely some changes but like nothing drastic. When did you write your first book? Oh my god. All right. So I was working at the New York Daily News. I was a gossip columnist. I wanted to write a book about what I had learned covering celebrities, but I didn't want to write this like salacious, oh my God, this is me at Bungalow 8 doing a bunch of drugs with Lindsay yeah. Lohan. <laughs> so I pitched the idea of doing a kind of Harvard Business School case study about how celebrities made money called Celebrity Inc. And all of these traditional publishers didn't want it. They're like, but can you tell us about doing all the drugs at Bungalow 8? And I was like, no. I mean, like, like that just that's such a flash in the pan. And I don't think that's necessarily what readers want. I want something meatier. And so I went with a more non-traditional publisher with a startup. And I'm so happy that I did because I had such a wonderful experience with Open Road. And that was my first book, Celebrity Inc. And then since then, I've been doing about a book a year. What year did Celebrity Inc. come out? 2009. 
Have you seen a major shift in the industry of publishing books? Yes. And because like, I feel like you obviously have a resume of incredible books. So people are like, yeah, she can write. Like, this is great. Do you find today, because this is what I'm finding, that you need to have a social following to write a book? Like, that's what they care about. I have so many thoughts on this. And I'm probably like, people are probably going to get angry at me, but I have no filter anymore. It's become such a problem. Like, I literally have no filter. And I also just think honesty is the best thing for people trying to create content these days because it is the Wild West and we are all on our own and we should all be helping each other as much as we can. So, yes, the world has completely changed since I wrote my first book until, you know, today, Sicilian Inheritance comes out you know, in eight weeks from the day that we're recording. Get your pre-order, pre-orders in now, people. Get your pre-orders in now. Yes, I've proven I can write books. It is never a guarantee that I'm going to get another book deal. You know, it used to be like, okay, you write a book and like you sell a good number of them. Like, we're going to work with you again. And now it really does seem like unless you get a celebrity book club, you're really floundering out there on your own to get people to notice your book. And also, yes, publishers want to know your social numbers, also the social numbers of everyone you've ever interacted with. That said, a social audience does not necessarily translate to book sales. It doesn't. I have a lot of friends with a big social following whose books did not sell that well. Like, it is two different platforms. And, like, you may have a platform of readers and you may not. And so numbers don't tell the whole story. And I think it's very short-sighted to base book, like, base acquiring a book off social numbers when you could be missing out on a really great book from someone who doesn't have a social media following. Mm. It's similar to podcasting in that some even like celebrities or people with massive followings will start a podcast and it doesn't necessarily do well. Totally. Not everyone is good at everything. Okay. And that's fine. That is fine. But yeah, I I don't think all mediums translate. I just, you know, I had a, a guy friend of mine who has started doing very well. He's an author and he started doing very well on TikTok. And he's like, I'm going to start a podcast now. And I'm like, I don't think TikTok does not translate to a podcast audience. So that's interesting if you want to do it, but it's a hell of a lot of work and you're not going to make any money off of it. So just letting you know. I know this is always like people I know start podcasts. I'm like, that's great. Like I love podcasting. Like it's amazing. But at the end of the day, like it's not super lucrative and it is a ton of work so it depends why you want to do it like why do you want to do it yeah are you going to do it for years with barely making any money because that's a real thing that can happen that's a real thing I mean I was on salary to make podcasts for seven years and like that was that was great I had a really good run of it the major media companies don't do that anymore, frankly, because a lot of people make podcasts for free. So they're like, why do we have to pay you to be making podcasts? And now I'm out on my own with my own production company, and it's hard. And I think, you know, we have to be really honest about that because people are like, oh, you must be raking money in on podcasts. And I'm like, I've got a million downloads, you know, since September. And no, the answer is no. So Under the Influence is your podcast. So previously... Was that a podcast that you were producing and creating for like a media company and now you're doing it on your own? 
Yeah, yeah. Under the influence, I I started making it with iHeartMedia, and I had done the Committed podcast with them, the Fierce podcast, She Wants More about women and affairs, and Wilder, a podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder. And then I started, I decided just to go out on my own, and now I'm producing Under the Influence solo and bringing back Committed next week for Valentine's Day, which is a podcast about love and marriage and like the nitty gritty of real relationships, which was wildly popular for about five years. And now it's it's just coming back. That's exciting. So I feel like people that listen to my podcast would love Under the Influence. Can you tell us a little bit about what the theme of the podcast is and also why you got interested in these topics. Like, how did this all come about? Totally, yeah. So under the influence, I started doing it, which is crazy, four years ago when I had my second baby and she didn't sleep. And so I would hold her all night and stay awake. And the only appendage that was free was my thumb. And I would scroll social media. And I was just being served mom influencers over and over again, like these perfect women with their perfect houses. And I was like, I hate you. And I also love you. (laughs) And I also think that you're my friends in this weird, messed up way. And as a journalist, I've always tried to report out things that I don't understand. And I started reporting on the world of mom influencers, and that became the first season of Under the Influence, and that's how we first connected. I tried to become a mom influencer, and I failed miserably at it, and also began to report on this multi-billion dollar industry that is largely ignored by mainstream media. And since then, the show has evolved from just being about mom influencers to being about you know social media and media literacy in the world. I truly believe that the train has just left the station with how we consume content. And a lot of like mainstream academics and the media ignore that. They ignore that so many more eyeballs are on this tiny screen than on anything else these days. And we have to be talking about the people that have power and that are creating information in this space way more than we are. But Under the Influence has also kind of branched out into talking about what it means to be a woman in the world, what it means to be a mother in the world. How are we dealing with, you know, a world that is unkind to women and mothers? So we do deep dives into both how are you handling your anxiety? And then also, how are Christian fundam- fundamentalists and trad wives taking over our social media? So we've got a wide range of subjects, and we do a lot more interviews now, and Under the Influence is now two episodes a week. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love that. I read your article. Okay, this is the whole trad wife thing. <laughs> like, I am so late to this phenomenon. And I feel like it's because I don't really consume a lot of content. The only reason I have heard about this trad wife thing, and I still didn't really understand what it was, is because I listened to a podcast and they were talking about it. And they were specifically talking about Ballerina Farm and like what she does. And I was just like, oh, and I looked her up on Instagram and I was like, oh, okay. Like now I understand kind of what it is. But I didn't realize that it was like this whole phenomenon and thing that is becoming more popular. Can you just explain what it is for people listening? And maybe people are like, Renee, how do you not know what this is? (laughs) 
no. I mean, a lot of a lot of my friends and my listeners didn't know what trad wives were, and it's only come on my radar in less like the past year, honestly. And it is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So a trad wife, you know, just a basic definition is a woman who a woman on 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 social media who is adhering to very quote unquote traditional values, traditional domestic values, who does not work outside the home, who is submissive to her husband, who depends on her husband for income, who typically has very little agency. There's very extreme versions of this where literally they say they don't leave the house without their husband's permission. And then, you know, there's there's other kind of groups that are lumped into the trad wife life. A lot of the women that portray homesteading or portray a farming life, a kind of faux nostalgia of back to your roots, which like the roots of which never really existed because they just show the pretty part of like, you know, grazing a cow's nipple and not how fucking hard it is to milk a goddamn cow. So there's really, there's a spectrum of it, but underlying a lot of it is the fact that these accounts promote a version of womanhood that keeps us in the home and keeps us quiet, keeps us out of the workforce, and strips agency away from women using very beautiful imagery that is quite addicting, that is quite aspirational in a lot of ways. And a lot of this is being funded by conservative political forces in the United States. Like the actual social media accounts or just like the idea of it? There are actual social media accounts that are really just bots with content being generated that is created by by a lot of a lot of conservative groups. But then they're also funding to boost things as well, to boost to boost and amplify accounts that do portray this like quote unquote nostalgic nuclear family from a 1950s sitcom because it does keep women in women in the home and it does continue to promote their agenda of anti-choice. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double-action combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner... I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. 
Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals, so you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding, and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Why do you think like these accounts are so appealing to women today that are, you know, maybe you would consider them modern women who like have full-fledged careers. And prior to maybe seeing these accounts, they would never have thought of themselves to like aspire to do something like that. But why do you think it's all of a sudden so appealing to so many people? For so many reasons. And I I talk about this a lot in my Substack and also on Under the Influence. It's largely because we live in a world that feels very insecure and unstable. And my girlfriends are attracted to this content. My very brilliant girlfriends, all of whom work outside the home, who are partners in law firms and venture capital firms and professors at Penn Law School. And they're like, you know, this life looks easy, wouldn't it be nice if something were easy? And sometimes having a more equal marriage where you're trying to have your partner do as much household labor as you do, that's not easy because there's no blueprint for that. And so the idea that these roles are so defined, there's something so alluring about that. But again, it's social media, so it's all smoke and mirrors. They're not showing any of the labor involved in being a woman who stays at home with children who has to work in the home. And it really is creating a a false narrative about what that life is like. But it's pretty. It's pretty in the way that looking at a beautiful magazine spread is pretty. But I think it's much more nefarious than a magazine because it is on this device that is with you 
all of the time. And I, I just think that these images sink into our brains and these ideas sink into our brains. And maybe it's not damaging for my friends who are already established in their careers, but it is damaging for a young woman just setting out who says, you know what, maybe I don't want to get work experience. Maybe I don't want to go to college. Maybe I should just depend on my husband for all of my money. And again, this is nothing against stay-at-home mothers. I love stay-at-home mothers. They are the CEOs of their households. They are working. Like, they are working hard. But this is about making sure that you have independence, both financial and from a work experience standpoint, so that if your husband were to disappear tomorrow, because men disappear, you and your children would be okay. And I talked to a lot of women who escaped the trad wife lifestyle, and they're fine now. But they were not okay for a long time afterwards because they didn't have their own money and they didn't have the means to support themselves and their children. And their message for women who fall into this life or for who are looking at this on social media and thinking that it's the easy way out is that you will be trapped in an incredibly abusive misogynistic and patriarchal cycle that is designed to keep women down. I'm going to use Ballerina Farm as an example just because that's the account that I was looking at to understand what this is. To me, it's no different. Like when I look at her content, like making bread in the kitchen and so on and so forth, It's no different than when I look at an account of like an extremely wealthy family that, you know, flies on private jets and like, it's so almost make-believe and like you were saying, smoke and mirrors. And I don't know if it's because I understand what goes into creating content, but first of all, like Ballerina Farm has eight children. Yeah, she does. And she's 33, by the way. I just want to remind everyone she's 33. Yeah. So I had Milo, my one and only child, when I was 34. So yeah, it is. It's like a completely different world, lifestyle, different world. But also, I'm like, where are the kids like throwing tantrums while you're trying to make your bread? And there was a video of her husband milking a cow. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you guys are millionaires. I read an article somewhere that said her stove in the background of all her videos that looks like this, like, you know, like you're living in some little like cottage off the grid. Like, no, her stove was like $30,000 or something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it appears to be very like wholesome and, you know, living off the grid and so on and so forth. But I'm pretty sure they're like, bajillionaires and she has three nannies and as you were saying in one of your articles or one of the reels I was watching that you made this is like a job like they are selling you things and she's a brand she's not a person like ballerina farm like yes that's a brand that's a brand that's a brand I have so many thoughts on this and I'll try to break it down as as easily as I can. One, yes, Ballerina Farm, the social media account, is a brand. I am not talking about the human being behind it, the woman. I get attacked so much every time that I talk about this account by people who say, why are you being so mean to this beautiful young farmer? And I'm like, 
this has nothing to do with her. This has to do with a brand that has 8.5 million followers. That is more viewers than the majority of television shows these days. That is a brand with so much influence, first of all. Most, but I will tell you, and you say, oh, well, I just look at it like this. Most people do not. The majority of people in America right now do not have the basic media literacy to say, this is how this is being created. I should look at this more, more like a reality television show or a beautiful magazine shoot. Too many people right now believe that this is that family's real life and real experiences. The other issue is that Ballerina Farm, as a brand, does nothing to check all of their privileges. In so many ways, they're like cosplaying poverty because they like the aesthetic of it. But make make no mistake, this is a family with a lot of money. The, hus- the husband in the, in the Ballerina Farm brand is an heir to the JetBlue fortune, something they never, ever speak about. Now, do I think that all influencers need to disclose their taxes? No, but do I think that if you are a brand, again, who is trying to sell people things, who is trying to sell people a certain type of lifestyle, you should be a little bit more forthcoming about your privilege and where this money is coming from. Because I talk to real farmers and they're like, I am struggling to get by. Being being a farmer is intensely difficult in America. They are living right at the poverty line. And this makes the farm life look easy, and it discounts the labor that those real farmers are doing while selling people $80 sourdough starters and or a $30, and I might get the prices wrong, but this is like the range of it, a $30 plastic basket to carry herbs in, and you're, you're selling stuff to people who probably can't afford it by pretending that you don't have so much money, and also not showing all of the labor that goes into running your farm and caring for your eight children. The New York Times just did a profile of Ballerina Farm, which I have a lot of issues with, but they didn't dig into the money nearly enough. Or dig in, I mean, forget the family money for a second. They're pulling in millions of dollars in brand deals. And you won't, you won't always see it on her account, but you will then you will see it on the accounts of the brands that she is partnering with. And so even if you unfollow her, those brands will find you and target you. That is what a lot of people are telling me. They're like, I can't get her off my feed because the brands are targeting me with the ads now. So a common thing people say is, oh well can't you just unfollow no, you can't because these accounts that have this much clout and this much power will continue to follow you around the social media. So yes, I have a lot of problems with Ballerina Farm as a brand because I think it shows this version of femininity and motherhood that is inaccessible to people without disclosing why it is accessible to them. I was reading in, I think it was the Bustle article, where it was mentioned that women today, like modern women today, would be attracted to that content because it's simple. It looks like a very simple, no-stress kind of reality. But truth of the matter is, like, if you were on a farm, like you were saying, like, that is extremely stressful, like, way of living. And they don't present anything. Like, there's, like, soft music in the background and... You know, like everybody's in neutral colors and there's the big family dinner table, everyone's eating. And 
it's like you were saying, like we look at people with private jets and traveling all over the place and we're like, oh man, that would be amazing. But it's so unattainable. It's not relatable. It's not realistic. But this is almost like on the far other end of the spectrum where it appears to be so simple and easy to attain, but it's actually not. Like we can't just move to a farm and start living this way. Like, No, no, not without millions of dollars. And again, there she's selling you things. Not she. I, I, I like to say the brand is selling you things. I have no beef with this woman. She is the CEO of her brand. And the New York Times in their subhead for their profile of her called her a homemaker, which completely ignores the fact that she is now the founder and CEO of a media company. I mean, this just, it just shows how we view influencer content. And the New York Times really perpetuated that by acting like she's just a homemaker who makes these cute videos, as opposed to a media company with 8.5 million followers. Yeah. You're not like naive, like, you know, you're building a brand. How did she start in this space? Because it's strange to me that she's also like a pageant person. She is also a pageant person. She is the current Mrs. America. Also great for her. You know, it's very interesting when I talk about that. Some people have said I've been condescending towards pageants. Maybe I was. I don't know a ton about about the pageant world. There's been a ton of controversy that she started putting on her pageant outfits some like six days after she gave birth to her her last child in her home. And a lot of postpartum mothers thought that they they felt shamed by that. They thought that was almost offensive also because she didn't talk about how hard it was. She just, you know, showed up in this this crazy eagle costume looking fantastic and I personally do believe that if your audience is mostly women and mostly mothers, you do owe them talking about the privilege that is allowing you to be able to do those things. And and she didn't. I had so many people write to me and say they felt shamed and felt terrible. And they're like, how is she not just in bed bleeding? And the postpartum experience is different for everyone. I mean, I was up and about with my third kid because it just fell out of my body because my <laughs> vagina is the size of a, the Grand Canyon at this point. <laughs> but, and so I imagine by eight babies, it's just... You don't even do anything, right? Easy peasy. But I do still think that you have to be cognizant and less tone deaf about who is watching you and who is consuming these videos. She did seem to spring up out of nowhere, but really, look, I've said it before. These accounts, these kinds of accounts that espouse traditional values, they've been amplified a lot since 2020 by a lot of political forces that don't want you to know that that they're being amplified. And I think she's gone from something like a million followers in less than two years to 8.5 million followers. That's a big jump. Maybe it's because I'm in Canada that I'm not served this kind of content. It might be. I mean, because I, you know, I don't, for a long time, I didn't get served this kind of content either, but I talk to women who live in more red states and in the middle of the country, and they they tell me they're served it constantly. Interesting. Never even thought, but like it makes perfect sense. Like social media is like the number one, like this is why, you know, TV, TV like stations and they're suffering because everyone's putting their 
money into social media because, like you said, that's where people's eyeballs are going. So it would make sense that this kind of thing would be happening. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. I want to talk about your new book because I read the description Can you explain what it's about, but then also how your family history ties into it? Because it's a novel, right? It's a fiction. It's a novel. It's a novel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this, this is crazy. The Sicilian Inheritance, I genuinely believe that it's the best book that I've ever written. I'm obsessed with it. And I've been working on it for four years, which is longer than I've worked on any other book. It is loosely based on the murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala, a hundred years ago. And this is this story that my family's been telling forever, but I have no idea what's true because we're Italian-Americans and we make shit up and we're like a bunch of myth makers and liars, right? But I knew that she was murdered before she could join her husband and sons in America. Like they came over here like so many Sicilians did to make a better life for themselves and She was there alone for 12 years, and then she never made it. And my family has always said she was murdered by the mafia. She was murdered because she was a witch. There's all of these theories, but no one has any proof, right? So for a long time, I'd thought about this story, and I was like, what would it be like to be a woman alone in Sicily? Your husband is gone Is that empowering because you're not getting pregnant every year and you finally can like work and earn your own money? Or is it terrifying? And so I started, I started this novel and it is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set in Sicily with a modern day woman who goes back to try to claim her family's ancestral land in a tiny village on top of a mountain outside of Palermo. 
And it's filled with delicious food and beautiful landscapes and travel and just enough of like, fuck the patriarchy, we have to care about women, just the right amount, just the right amount. And also some, you know, hot, steamy sex, but not gross sex, like we see in a lot of of women's fiction these days, just standard, standard sex. And uh, it's great. It's, I mean, I, I love it so much. I do have some, it's gotten really great reviews so far. And we're doing a true crime podcast to go along with it. Where I heard about this. I'm trying to solve my great-great-grandmother's actual murder. I read this somewhere or I saw it on your Instagram and I was like, what? Like, so what are you doing for it? I went back to Sicily last summer with my whole family three kids under the age of seven, and started digging into archives and police records and going back to the town where my great-great-grandmother was murdered. Because I wrote the novel and I didn't want to know the real story. I wanted to fictionalize it. I wanted to be able to have fun with the story. But once it was over, it just kind of kept nagging at me. Like, you know, almost like she was nagging at me, being like, could you tell my real story? Could you, could you, like, you know share what actually happened to me. And so I've started digging and uncovering some of the real details about what happened to her. And my podcast producer came with me last summer and we have some, we already have some bombshells. I'm going back to Sicily in three weeks to finish the reporting. And that podcast is going to come out next month. We're about a month away from it launching. But Oh my um, God, that's cool. It's pretty cool. So yeah, so the podcast is coming out. It's also called The Sicilian Inheritance. And then the book, the novel is called The Sicilian Inheritance. And I think, look, it's also a great escape and an adventure. A lot of people are telling me it is the book that got them out of their reading slump because it's enjoyable. I've read a lot of books that are so good lately, but I feel like shit. I'm like, that was dark. This will not make you feel bad. This will make you want to book a trip to Sicily and eat a lot of cheese and drink wine and have some pasta and cannoli, but you're going to feel feel like you you're you're going to feel like you went on an adventure afterwards. Where in Sicily did all this take place? It's a little town called Caltabalota. I call it Caltabalessa in the book, just again, so I could have some more fun with it and didn't have to conform to the the actual village. It is outside of a town called Shaka, which is on the coast, and it's about 80 minutes away from Palermo on the western coast. But it is on top of a rock, on top of a mountain, the top of which looks like a shark fin just like jutting out from entirely other flat land. Like it looks like nothing else you've ever seen before. And it's a village that's been conquered over and over again, as all of Sicily has. There's all of these Greek myths associated with it. You know, some people believe that this is where Daedalus landed after after he escaped, that he landed there and then created the town of Caltabalota to look like the original maze that he had just escaped. And the town does look like a maze. I mean, it looks like a medieval village. It is unbelievable. There is one restaurant of which the sons who work in that restaurant also sell all of the real estate in the town. So last time we visited there's no menu. They just keep bringing you food and bringing you wine. And last time we visited, they also tried to sell me a house. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you speak Italian? 
so badly. And like, I just listened to myself. I used, I used to be fluent. I lost it and I'm trying to get better, but no, I'm listening to myself on these tapes, trying to talk to some of the people who, who store the records in the town. And it is so sad. And I sound like such an idiot American that I almost don't want them to run these tapes, but I have to, because I'm like, well, that's you. That's what you really sound like. Yeah. It's, it's been a romp. I mean, I say the podcast is like that finding your root show on, on PBS, but make it funny, and then it's White Lotus meets Only Murders in the Building. That is hilarious. So was it difficult because of the language barrier to like, like I imagine looking up old records in Italy and just being like lost. Like, did you have an interpreter or... Yes, yes. I have a lot of interpreters. I have a lot of local researchers that I've worked with for a long time, actually, like that because I, I was a travel journalist for so long, I've been to Sicily and I've been to Sicily with my my family. And we've met a lot of a lot of tour guides who have been really helpful in this quest. We have a really great researcher on the ground. We're working with lo- local prosecutors. Ellis Island has been so helpful with their historians digging through all their records, as has Ancestry.com. So there's a whole team of people that is that is working to uncover this murder for me. Don't worry, we'll also be visiting several psychic mediums in case Lorenzo wants to talk to us from the dead. Oh my God. I need to do this one day. I've never... Have you done that prior to like shooting for this podcast? No, no. My dad was very into Ancestry.com. He passed away seven years ago and he was also very into kind of uncovering and solving this mystery. So in a lot of ways, I feel like both the book, The Sicilian Inheritance and the podcast are are like, you know, continuing his unfinished work. Mm. And so your New Year's resolution, just switching gears about not bringing the phone into the bathroom with you. How's that going? So bad. I'm still, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. So my New Year's resolution was don't bring the phone in the bathroom. And I still bring the phone in the bathroom every day. I failed miserably on about like January 2nd. Okay. Like the phone. Also, because you know this as a mom, sometimes the bathroom is the only place where we can get anything done. But only sometimes because my husband has been out of town for work. And when he goes out of town for work, I pretend that he's dead because it's easier for me to pretend he's dead than to, you know, have to like be like, how is that happy hour you went to with your colleagues? Mm -hmm. Oh, did you enjoy sleeping, you know, in a bed without any children? So I just pretend he doesn't exist. And, you know, he comes home and he's like, oh, that trip was hard, you know. And I'm like, did you poop alone? Did you? Exactly. Did you poop in a room by yourself? Because every time I've pooped for the past three days, my four-year-old has dead-eye stared me for no good reason. Just like looked me right in the eyes like she was going to kill me. Or you have to watch them poop. Like the other day, Milo was like, stay in the bathroom. I'm like, um, no, I'll just be over here. Like, let me know when you're Watching them poop is such an interesting (laughs) thing, right? Like they always want me to watch them poop. They want me to be very involved in their poops. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm right outside. I'm just like folding some clothes. I'm like getting this done. I'm trying to send an email. And she's like, can you hold my hands and growl with me? And I'm like, I don't want to. Yeah. Or he's like, can you get my toys? Can you get um, Mm -hmm. the Spider-Man from my room? I'm like, what is the, like, what What is is happening happening right now? What is happening right now? No, it's insane. It's actually insane. Oh, kids. I love them. I just don't know what to do with them sometimes. The thing is, I love being a mom. Like, I love being a mom way more than I ever expected to love it. And so I just want to keep 
working to try to find the balance where I feel like I'm really happy in my career and I'm really happy being a mom because I also, while this time with young children is fleeting and I want to enjoy it, it's also fleeting and they're all going to be in school in the next three years and I want to make sure that my career is thriving and I feel fulfilled by that when they are out of the house all the time. Like is trad wife part of like the homeschool yeah, is that it's, it, yeah, it, oh, okay. it, bleeds, it bleeds over. Yeah, tradwives, tradwives are very homeschooly. Oh, okay. Because that's what I was thinking. I was like, this might be idyllic when kids are really small, but then you run into the problem. Like once they go to school, then what are you doing? And if you, you know, worked to, you know, be a lawyer or be like a publicist, like whatever you're doing, and then you stop your career, then you're trying to get back into it four years later once your kids go to school. It's like, and like you were saying, like people get divorced, like the divorce rate is so high. And so now what? Like there's just so so many, yeah. It's so high. And you know, the world is just not set up for women who are taking a career pause and that sucks. And there are so many women who are working to fix that right now. Neha Roosh, who I interviewed for my Bustle story, who runs the Mom Untitled group, is, is just trying to work to fix that, to say, you know what, we, de- we need to have different seasons of life and you should be able to take a career pause and then come back because you've only gained new skills from your time being a mother. Like I am a multitasking God right now. I was not a multitasking God before I had children. And so just we live in a culture that doesn't value that. And hopefully by having these kinds of conversations that we're having and by the kind of content that you're putting out that does show so much of the labor of being a mother and also the labor of trying to divide that labor with your partner, then we are changing the conversations. The labor of trying to divide the labor. I love that. Let's talk about that. I got to make a TikTok today on that. <laughs> make a TikTok. Make a TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, tag you. <laughs> yeah, tag me Tag me on the talks. I'm still trying to learn the talks. You're very good at the talks. I'm like, oh, Ugh, I'm so talks. kind of like over it though. Like TikTok is like, I feel like it's not what it used to be. And I just like, ugh, it just bothers me. Like I put out content and then I'm just, I'm over it. It's not like a community feeling. On Instagram, your followers see your content. Which is nice. You know, you can like DM people. It's like a whole thing. TikTok is very like you put something out and it's all the angry men in the southern US that see it. I'm like, what where's my audience? Like I I enraged those men this week by posting something on my Instagram that talked about, you know, how I was like stitching something. I guess that's what we say these days. I was stitching about how I don't think that women should have to initiate sex if they don't feel like it, which is something that is posted on a lot of conservative Instagram accounts. And the angry white men came out, and they're angry. They be angry. Yeah. They have a lot of anger. They have a lot of anger. They have a lot of anger because, I mean, hopefully their world is disappearing, but I'm just, like, not seeing that enough yet. (laughs) Right? Oh, my God. Okay. Before I let you go, since you were a gossip columnist, Mm -hmm. like, what? that's, like— was it a fun job or was it, was it the like, best job ever? I mean, it was exhausting. Uh, it was exhausting like yeah. all jobs are exhausting, right? Like, I mean, being a travel journalist was exhausting, even though it was amazing. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm on in these overwater bungalows in the Maldives. But also I was living on a plane and had no time for my social life and was terrified I was never getting married. Like there's a, there's ups and downs of everything. In hindsight, being a gossip columnist was the best job I could have in my 20s in New York City. I mean, especially before, like this, you have to remember, like, Page Six and Russian Malloy at the New York Daily News were still 
like the gossip destinations. There were the celebrity magazines, but like there weren't a gazillion blogs yet. And so we had access. Like I went to all these movie premieres. I like interviewed these celebrities. I sat next to them at dinner and it was pre-social media. So they wanted to talk to us because they didn't have any other places to promote their projects. And so it was really a different time. There was more respect, I think. And it was awesome. It was so good. I had so much. I mean, like, I'm never going to be that woman that has a midlife crisis that's like, I need to go cheat on my husband and like party hard in Ibiza. Because I'm like, oh, I did all the things, my friends. Who is the celebrity that you met that is most like, oh my God, that was so cool. And they were so amazing. Meryl Streep. Fucking wonderful, just like really wonderful, just like a really wonderful, magical human being. And then every reality star was the worst. That's the thing. I I have this theory that the more famous a person is, the more grounded and nicer and lovely they are. And like the more they want to be famous, much like every reality star, the bigger a diva and an a-hole they were. Okay, yeah, this is like a common theme that I've heard, like just in my little world. But also, I had Matthew McConaughey on. Yes, and he's lovely. He's the lovely. Mm-hmm. one of the nicest, like, was addressing me by name. Was like, "Hey, Renee, like, how's it going?" I'm like, "Oh my god, like, what?" Like, he was like, "I really enjoyed this. Like, thank you so much." I was like, I was shocked. He was one of the easiest people to talk to. So nice, like, so. Like, made me feel like he wanted to be here and, like, you know, he wasn't, like, promoting something. Like, it was just, like, no, I was shocked. Legit a wonderful human being. He's so fun to interview. His wife is a, is is wonderful. Like, yes, he, he is a delight. And then, you know, you talk to some real housewives and you're like, you're a psycho host beast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, totally. Okay, before we end, thoughts on Taylor and Travis? I mean, I hope they get married. I do. Me I mean, too. I'm a Kelsey fan. You know, obviously, Jason played for the Eagles. I'm a big Eagles fan. Go Birds. We had a really rough season. I hope we get rid of Coach Sirianni. But yeah, I just, I love this for her. And it's so funny because I still think of Taylor Swift as so young. I'm like, oh, she's 21. Stop telling her she's going to get married. And then I'm like, oh, no, she's 33. Like, you know, that's an age. That's an age when people do this thing. So if she is happy, I think the Kelsey family is wonderful. I fucking love Donna Kelsey. I want to have Donna Kelsey on Under the Influence. I'm just Me putting too. it out there, on right? Here. Oh my God, let's let's just rally for Donna Kelsey, okay? Yes. I think she is the mother of the year and I adore her. And yeah, I'm all for, for Travis and Taylor. I'm here for that. Like we're trying to get her contact. So if I get it, I'll pass it along. If I get it, I'll pass it on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're not, we, we're not being weird about this, Donna Kelsey. We just fucking love you. Yeah, exactly. Like we just need to know. Like how did you know raise everything. Such... How did you raise these boys? Did you see when they went back to look at Travis's old tweets to try and like find something like nefarious and it's all like, oh, I'm just having my Chipotle looking at the birds outside. Yep. 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 They're like, there's nothing because they're good boys. Yeah, okay. Exactly. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, tell us where people can pre-order the book and also when we can expect like your upcoming projects and where people can find you online. We got to get you... Uh, yeah, all the things, you know, all the things. We're all always, the things. always be selling, 
always be selling. The Sicilian Inheritance, the book of the summer, the book that will get you out of your reading slump, is now available to order from everywhere that you get books. You can get it on the Amazon, the bookshop, your local indie bookstore in the U.S. and Canada and abroad, all of the places. It is just fun. You will love it. And my podcast, Under the Influence, is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I also have a substack called Over the Influence, where we talk about all of these things. And if you pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance, I'm giving it to people for free because books are expensive and substacks are expensive. And, you know, you deserve nice things. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you. This was so fun. 